Happy Friday. It's the People's Show. Dan Rachel with you for the next two hours here in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. Got the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox opened up. Going to take uh, questions through the two hours, should you have any. We've also got a lot of good guests lined up for this Friday finale of the People's Show. This hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. Cat uh, Jamie, director of the Grizzly Truth and Finding Big Country, is going to join us as uh, the Raptors announced they're going to play their preseason opener here in Vancouver in October. Uh, not the first time the Raptors have been out to BC for preseason, had their uh, training camp in Victoria or uh, somewhere thereabouts last year. So they uh, continue to try and be Canada's team. We'll see um, her take on that. Paul Dolan, legendary goalkeeper for Canada, uh, joins us after 12.30. His take on the Whitecaps' recent moves. Color analyst for the Whitecaps now with Apple. Brandon Gustafson, uh, 710 in Seattle. Little uh, couple of thoughts on the Seahawks and, of course, the Mariners getting the big win. Cade Marlowe showing out over Shohei Otani last night. That was pretty impressive. Tough to see Shohei Otani um, holding back the tears on the uh, Angels bench after Cade Marlowe hits that Grand Slam home run. There's like literally nothing Shohei Otani can do more to help that team win games. And yet, uh, they still continue to lose. Last night might have been the moment the Angels officially lost Shohei Otani. Steve Ewan of the province will join us as well. Uh, SFU making some changes with their athletics director, which seems a little, uh, well, it's interesting, given they axed their football program four months ago. So, we'll get to that. Plus, Paktoku around 145 as well. So... Some interesting news might finally be coming to the National Hockey League this weekend. Now, we know that there's been a lack of offseason activity, you might say. You're waiting for the Vancouver Canucks to potentially you know, make an offseason move, open up some extra cap space so they can make a play for Matt Dumba or something else. Maybe finally move Connor Garland or Tyler Myers so we can end those conversations. Hasn't happened yet, of course, probably will not happen. At least not in the foreseeable future. But today, Elliot Friedman mentioned that Eric Carlson might get moved as early as this weekend. The wording he suggested was, we may get clarity on Eric Carlson's situation as early as this weekend. So we will see about that because the Pittsburgh Penguins have an opportunity to open up some cap space with a buyout window, and there could be that move coming down the line for Eric Carlson. All right, we have our next guest ready to start the program. It is Cat Jamie, director of the Grizzly Truth and Finding Big Country, joining us here on The People's Show. Thanks for this, Cat. How are you? I'm good. Uh, how are you, Dan? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, we we sort of discussed it a little bit on the show yesterday because, you know, anytime a Toronto team comes around these parts, it's uh, it can get people a little bit fired up. 
And we know that there is a, a large segment of the basketball fan population in Vancouver that has maybe even adopted the Raptors as their home team since the Grizzlies left. Um, it, how, how do you feel about the Raptors sort of uh, coming into this territory and seeing if there's a market they can build in the wake of, uh, well, now it's 20 years on, 20 plus years on from the Grizzlies. But how do you feel about that? You know, whenever the NBA comes to town, I think it's a great thing for the city. Um, it's a great way to show the, uh, you know, the league that we, there's, uh, you know, so uh, a fan base here. Uh, you know, I, previous years, tickets sell out so fast. And I, I predict that the same thing is going to happen again come, uh, you know, come October. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm definitely one of the first to get in line to buy, buy tickets. And uh, I think it's a great thing that the NBA comes back um, every, every year to the city. Yeah, we've uh, we, we've seen and, and we've talked about, I mean, uh, you know, the Grizzly Truth does a, a good job of exploring all of these things. But, you know, the, the idea of bringing an NBA team back to Vancouver, you know, these uh, preseason games and you know, talk of expansion from NBA commissioner Adam Silver, it's it always gets people at least intrigued at the idea of welcoming a team back to Vancouver. How realistic do you think that that is? I mean, I, I'm very hopeful. I'm still hopeful. I think, it, you know, obviously Seattle deserves a team. Vegas yeah. is also, you know, right, right up there. But I do, I am still hopeful that uh, that Vancouver will get a second shot. It might not be in the next decade or two decades, but I think eventually, um, you know, Vancouver will get a, a, second sh- a second shot at the NBA. And so that's why I think it's important to show support, um, you know, when the NBA does come to town, uh, you know, we have the Vancouver Bandits as well. It's, it's important to to um, come out and support, you know, the local leagues here um, in Canada and in the city. Um, and uh, you know, I'm also I would be so stoked for the WNBA to come to to come to Vancouver. So the NBA, WNBA, I'd be so so down for either one of those leagues. Yeah, the growth of the WNBA has been unreal, and uh, you know we've seen, uh, we will see more expansion on the WNBA front mm-hmm. as as well. So you know there's there's going to be a lot of options, and you know I think you know one thing that is for sure is there is a basketball market uh, for uh, here in Vancouver, and it has continued to develop even beyond the Grizzlies. But how deep of like how deep does the wound, the scar of the Grizzlies leaving, does it go, and how much is it still felt to this day? It goes pretty deep, and that's you know I I found that when I made uh, Finding Big Country, and you know I had so many people reach out to me saying you know I thought I was the only one who was this heart heartbroken about the Grizzlies, um, and that's why you know we did uh, choose to include um, a number of of other fans that I'd met after Finding Big Country in the Grizzly Truth, and um, so you know. I'm definitely not the only, uh, you know, heartbroken, crazed yeah. Vancouver Grizzlies diehard super fan that, that exists. There's so many uh, like me that are out there um, who, you know, yeah, are still still heartbroken that the team's not here. But, you know, I hope that after people watch the Grizzly Truth, they can, you know, find comfort and closure um, and maybe even cheer on the Memphis Grizzlies. You know, it's, uh, it, it is tough, and, and we've seen it. You know, the Grizzlies aren't the only example. I mean, uh, it's happening right now with the Oakland Athletics uh, to a certain extent. We saw it happen when Jeffrey Loria was the, uh, the owner of the Montreal Expos and how, you know, there was uh, ways that the owners finagled their way out of their cities and uh, moved them to a place they thought would be more profitable. But um, it, it, it's a question, I think, 
you know, we still ask, but it, it feels like, and, and when you look back at the history of it all, were the Grizzlies ever really put into a position to succeed? It was, I mean, you know, there were so many, so many obstacles that the organization had to, uh, that were thrown, yeah, you know, thrown our way. Um, and it was just, um, we were just dealt a really, a really terrible hand. Um, you know, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I think some people forget we had, there were two lockouts, NBA lockouts that really hurt us and that mm-hmm. set us back. Um, and, you know, that amongst a whole other list of, of things that we had to deal with, you know, low Canadian dollar, you know, obviously some pe- some draft picks that, um, you know, didn't fall our way. Um and uh, yeah, again, those those two lockouts, um, you know, those re- those really did hurt us as well. Uh, when when you explored uh, the Grizzly Truth and in finding Big Country, did people just uh, start to adopt another team uh, while still holding the Grizzlies close to their heart? Uh, did they follow you know, the Memphis Grizzlies? How did it work out? Yeah, I would say for the most part, no. The um, <laughs> people, I don't think. There are some people that I, I, I interviewed um, that did follow the Memphis Grizzlies, but I'd say majority of people, you know, uh, were too. It was too painful to do that. I um, I started following Steve Nash, so the Dallas Mavericks became my team, and then the Phoenix Suns became my team. Um, and then uh, when he retired, I, I sort of didn't really have any loyalty to a team. But now again, you know, I, I when people still ask me who my favorite team is, I'll, I'll still probably say the Vancouver Grizzlies. Um, I have. Uh, now come to to uh, you know grow to cheer on the Memphis Grizzlies um, uh, just you know for my for my journey and adventure making the Grizzly truth but for the most part you know I feel like the really really diehard Vancouver Grizzlies fans um, are all you know all pretty they, they never found any loyalties to another team it was still for them you know the Vancouver Grizzlies uh, Kat, we really appreciate your time today. Thanks for this and uh, all the best in the future. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Uh, there is uh, Kat Jamie, the director and filmmaker uh, locally here and has done a couple of great ones with the Grizzly Truth, which you haven't seen it yet. Suggest you do. Not too difficult to find. And also uh, Finding Big Country as well prior to that. Also a more recent one uh, on uh, a 30 for 30. Uh, she was a co-director on one um, that centered around the riot after the 2011 Stanley Cup final and some of how that situation wasn't just upset Canucks fans at losing the Stanley Cup final to the Boston Bruins. So a great local filmmaker who's done some great things on local sports and, of course, other things as well. So appreciate Kat's time. It's, uh, It's fascinating with the Raptors coming to town you're going to see a good crowd at that game and you're going to see NBA fans flock to Rogers arena. But the thing about the economics of the NBA very much in comparison to the NHL, it's not just about putting butts in the seats. Now you can say that about every professional sports league, you know, you need to, sell out your corporate boxes and different things like that. And there's a lot of corporate money that goes into supporting these teams when, you know, they are worth $2 billion. But ultimately the hardest thing for a team coming back to Vancouver is finding an ownership group. And that's going to be a massive hurdle 
You could also look at it and very realistically say, even if you are a most diehard Vancouver basketball fan that you can find out there, and Cat is probably that, there are realistically other markets that are probably favored ahead of Vancouver to get an expansion team. Not probably, assuredly they are, whether it's Seattle or Las Vegas. So it's still a very difficult conversation, but there is no denying a basketball fan base does exist and lives here in Vancouver. And it's not just a Raptors fan base, but it's become more of a basketball fan base. It's Dan Richo here on The People's Show. So I mentioned this just before Kat joined us. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. It's a fascinating situation with Eric Carlson. His contract sucks, to borrow a line from Roberto Luongo. He's a San Jose Shark. Does not, lo- does not any longer want to be a San Jose Shark as they are in the midst of a rebuild we saw coming for years, even when they acquired Eric Carlson. And now... He wants to go to a contender. Carlson found the fountain of youth last year and scored over 100 points, won his third Norris Trophy against all odds. When most of us, including myself, had written off Eric Carlson as one of the top defensemen in the league. Now, I still have my doubts on how Carlson would fit into a true contending roster. I'm not so sure Pittsburgh is that anymore either. And they are the front runners to land an Eric Carlson. This is still, and this of the entirety of the NHL offseason, it's still a very difficult move for the Penguins and Sharks to pull off because of the money, and solely because of the money. San Jose would like to give Eric Carlson a chance to move on. They'd like to get something in return for it, rather than just having to eat a bunch of money for a player to go play somewhere else. But guess what the reality is? They're probably going to have to settle for the latter and not get much for Eric Carlson in return, other than having to contribute to his salary for the next four years. Think about it. I mean, we've seen a recent example of this. The Vegas Golden Knights with Marc-Andre Fleury. Won the freaking Vesna trophy, and they were like, See ya, Mark. See ya, Flower. We love ya. Maybe we'll put you in the ring of honor one day. And then Aiden Hill comes along and wins the Stanley Cup. Aiden Hill comes along, wins the Stanley Cup for them. But at that time, they were like, You know what? We're choosing Robin Leonard over you, Flower. Thanks. Comes a little bit cheaper. We're going to send you to the Chicago Blackhawks and receive nothing. Absolutely nothing in return for you who just won the Vesda Trophy. And Eric Carlson is going to find himself in a similar situation whenever this trade happens. If it happens this weekend, as Elliot Friedman suggests, it might. San Jose is going to have to eat 25% of this contract. Somewhere thereabouts. Maybe it's 20, maybe it's 30, I don't know. But they're going to have to eat a significant portion of this contract. They're going to have to take back Mikhail Granlund or Jeff Petrie in this deal. And guess what? It's not like the Pittsburgh Penguins are oozing with prospects and draft picks that you will love to take back in return. So I'm really not all that sure what's in it 
for the San Jose Sharks. And it's a sad reality of the NHL's flat cap, or mostly flat cap, for the last five years, that this is how things are playing out. I saw a, and trust me, it hurts the league that they've had such a uninspiring, a uninteresting offseason, you could even say. And I talk about this league as a living, and I still have to say this to you, and be honest with you, the NHL offseason has been incredibly uninteresting. I saw a piece recently at The Athletic that said, the five most savvy NHL offseason moves, most impressive offseason moves, and what they mean for 23-24. The list. Tyler Toffoli acquired by the New Jersey Devils. Chicago Chicago acquires Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno. The Winnipeg Jets acquire Gabe Velarde. Not even the other way around of the LA Kings acquiring Pierre-Luc Dubois. No, it's more interesting, more impressive that the Winnipeg Jets got Gabe Velarde in that deal. Arizona Coyotes re-sign Matias Michelli. <laughs> Am I being, like, punked here? Like, what is this... What is this list of the five most impressive moves? And the Edmonton Oilers signed Connor Brown. Okay, I get it. You're looking for a different angle, trying to find some diamonds in the rough of, you know, some moves that were under the radar that could bring great success for the respective teams that made them. I'm not trying to chirp Alan Mitchell, who wrote this article at The Athletic. But the bigger point that I took away from it was this offseason has been incredibly boring for the National Hockey League. Talk about a snooze fest. You're trying to sell me on re-signing Matias Michelli as some kind of great move for the Arizona Coyotes? Can't wait for the Coyotes to come through. Oh, sign them up as a playoff team in the Central, why don't you? But to be honest... And maybe this is on me. I couldn't tell you any moves that were really all that more impressive. Sure, you want to put the Canucks in there? They loaded up on defense with Ian Cole and Carson Soucy and all four goals that Teddy Bluger brought last year. It's an indictment on the system when these deals are labeled as marquee or impressive when it's just cap efficiency. Yes. Being efficient with your cap. Essentially, that is it. And that's why everybody universally gave the Canucks positive reviews on the moves they made this offseason. They weren't things that could hamper their cap for the future. They filled out spots that the Canucks desperately needed filling on the defense and on the penalty kill. But these are the moves that are the most impressive there was no marquee free agent signing, truly, in the National Hockey League. Ryan Graves? Ryan O'Reilly? Vlad Tarasenko taking a one-year deal with the Ottawa Senators so that he could maybe fill the void of Alex Dabrinkit, who was traded? That's probably the biggest move of the offseason. Steve Eiserman swinging for the fences on a move for Alex to Brinkat, who was coming off a down year. 
But please enlighten me on what the most exciting move of the offseason was. Pierre-Luc Dubois going to the LA Kings? I guess that's it. It's the one real big trade that was made. Winnipeg chose to not get futures in return. And they end up getting three pretty useful players back from the LA Kings, which makes it more of a hockey deal than a seller versus buyer type move that we often see in the National Hockey League. I like that aspect of it. But the reality is, not a lot changed in the National Hockey League so far this offseason. An Eric Carlson move might change that. But Carlson, bigger in name than I think he'll be in impact if this eventually happens for the Pittsburgh Penguins. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You can get in there as well. A couple of thoughts on uh, the Grizzlies and uh, the interview with Cat Jamie. When the Grizz left, I started following the Clippers so I wouldn't miss the heartbreak. That's from Brad in Cloverdale. Poor choice on your part there, Brad. How's that going for you, being a Clippers fan? Not great. Uh, I want to. I went to about 80 games as a 9, 10-year-old. Uh, Cat is awesome. Now I'm just sitting here clutching my Harvey jersey. Yeah, uh, there's some diehard Grizz fans still out there. The Tony Massenberg fans, Mike Bibby fans, Sharif, Stromile Swift. The great names of the six years of Grizzlies basketball you got. Lou Edwards. There's two things that I think about when it comes to how the Grizzlies were put in such a bad spot. Think about the National Hockey League with Vegas and Seattle and how they set those teams up for success. Think about how the Raptors and Grizzlies were brought into the NBA. No, you're not allowed to have a first overall pick. We're going to do everything possible to make this as hard as possible for you to have success anywhere near the short-term future. And they both stunk. And they both made bad trades, both made bad draft picks that really affected them. But the draft in Vancouver, what happens if the Grizzlies take Vince Carter instead of Mike Bibby? And then all of a sudden, Air Canada is with the Grizzlies and not the Raptors. Because Vince Carter essentially saved the Raptors. (laughs) They weren't all that impressive. I guess they had Damon Stoudemire or whatever. But Vince Carter became the biggest star in the entirety of the NBA while he was with the Raptors. Grizzlies never had that player. One little switch, and I wonder how much changes in the history of uh, the NBA in Vancouver. It's Dan Richo coming up. Paul Dolan's going to join us. His take on the Whitecaps making the biggest splash, maybe across Major League Soccer ahead of the deadline and what it means for their chances making a play for MLS Cup this year. It's coming up next on The People Show. Dan Richo in the uh, Kintec studio, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver online 
at DunbarLumber.com. A little bit of NHL news today. Uh, we had the uh, Eric Carlson note from Elliot Friedman saying we could get some clarity on Carlson and a potential trade with the San Jose Sharks and Pittsburgh Penguins seeing the Norris Trophy winner head to Pittsburgh to join up with Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, and Evgeny Malkin. But also, a contract I don't think anybody was expecting. Tom Wilson signed a seven-year extension at $45.5 million with the Washington Capitals. That's a six and a half... Yeah, six and a half average annual value for Tom Wilson. The top power forward in the National Hockey League, some would say. But you also have to play to be the top power forward in the National Hockey League. And he missed 49 games last year. This is the same Tom Wilson that has reached and eclipsed 50 points once in his career. Let me say that again. The same Tom Wilson that has eclipsed 50 points once in his career. And he's getting a seven-year extension at $45.5 million that will see him see that contract out until the age of 37. Congrats to Tom Wilson. Congrats to his agent. It's one hell of a deal for them. Let's bring in our next guest. Uh, he is the color analyst for Whitecaps matches on Apple TV. You know him very well around these parts. It's Paul Dolan. What's happening, Dolly? How are you, Dan? Good to speak to you again. Yeah, good to speak to you as well. I'm uh, I'm doing great. You know, there's uh, there's some excitement around this Whitecaps team right now. They got Tigris tonight in the League's Cup over at BC Place, but uh, the excitement surrounds adding Sam Atakubi and Richie Larea to a roster. It was already seeing a lot of success, and they feel like finishing pieces to a roster that uh, is going to make a playoff push here through the end of the season. That's a good way of putting it. When you look at the 11 and you think, oh, maybe you could do a little bit of an upgrade here or there, those are the spots I think the Whitecaps can strengthen, especially with Julian Gressel having left, although Gressel played more as kind of a number eight this year. Uh, rather than as a wing back, obviously he was strong in that position when he ended up in those uh, wide areas as well. So to have Richie on one side and Sammy on the other side, it's uh, a good looking rounded out squad. And I think it's maybe more than anything else, showing that sign of intent as a club that you aren't content to just middle around the playoff line, that you really do want to push and enforce a playoff position and climb the ladder a bit. And uh, as we've seen from the Whitecaps over the last few weeks, they've been a team to contend with as it is. And now you strengthen with those players and some of the other signings that they, you know, have in the um, youth programs, including the MLS Next. Uh, it, it's, it's showing that they want to have some depth to bring players through as well, like an Ali Ahmed, who earlier in the season came through the system and has been playing so well this year. Yeah, he's become a little bit of a star for them. It's uh, one of my worries when you know they they moved on from Gressel with the trade to Columbus, and you know some of that uh, was due to circumstance and Gressel uh, making it known he wasn't going to re-sign here in Vancouver. But you know, I wondered, you know, in a year where they 
are pushing for the playoffs. There's a lot of talent on this roster. They have Ryan Gold playing at an MVP level. Would that just, you know, would that be it? Would they replace Gressel right away? And, you know, they have not with just one player, but but two. And And what I like about it, maybe most here, Paul, aside from them fitting into a roster that seems to need these two types of players, but... You know, they have MLS experience. We know they can have success in this league. They are Canadians. You know, there's not, there, there shouldn't be any sort of a transitional period necessarily outside of, you know, growing some chemistry with their teammates for these two players like we've seen with, with other midseason acquisitions in the past. No, absolutely not. Obviously, Sammy Atacubi having played at Vancouver with the Whitecaps at BC Place, very comfortable there. And Richie Larea having played at BC Place with the Canadian team and obviously with Toronto FC as well and knowing the league and uh, knowing some of the other players that, that, that they'll be playing with. So I think that that, that uh, transition into the first team uh, will be a quick one. You hope it is, especially for Richie Larea, especially if they aren't able to get him on a long-term signed deal uh, because as it stands right now, it is a loan till the end of the year. Uh, but th- those two guys, I think, round out this squad really well. And I-, I like what Axel says oftentimes, which is they want to make the right move, not the first move. So he had to wait right till the deadline before making uh, the final announcements that they've got these two players. And as you say, too, for me, it's a huge thing that they're Canadian. I think that's what uh, Axel uh, Schuster had said near the beginning of his term with the Whitecaps, is that they want to be like Atletico Bilbao in, in Spain, where it's a very local flavor in the Canadian national team, obviously. So uh, that is a big bonus for me as well when I look at it. Especially with uh, the recent successes of the national team. You know, both these players played at the World Cup back in November, and they will continue to be a big part of the national setup on on the men's side. Um, You know, one one thing I do wonder about this, because, you know, one... (laughs) A misconception about the Whitecaps, and, and maybe this goes back to, to years past that I've heard from from listeners over the last couple of days. Oh, they're boring. They don't score. And uh, that's uh, quite the opposite of what this team actually is, Paul, right? They, they score quite a bit. They have the second most goals in the MLS Western Conference, but they also give up quite a bit. Uh, do you see these moves helping on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball? Well, I do. And it'll be interesting to see whether they play as wingbacks or fullbacks and whether Vanny likes to go back to the four that he started with this year in the 4-3-2-1 kind of Christmas tree formation, or whether to the three-back system that he's using now and use those players at wingbacks, because they're both very attack-minded. But they're also very good defensive players. So, um, you know, I think knowing Vanny, you know, we kind of joke about him. (laughs) We call him the tinker man, you know, like Claudio Ranieri, uh, who, who used to change his formation and his lineups and his personnel so often. There's no way that Vanny can stand still and not tinker a little bit to see how he can best use these players. But it's obviously in conjunction with the rest of the team. And one thing that he's always said to us, too, is the team is the leader. So it's not as if you're bringing in superstar players that need to be catered to and that the ball always goes through. They'll adapt to what Vanny wants in terms of his style of play and, and his formations. And they'll do it comfortably, whether it is as wingbacks or whether it is as fullbacks. You know, the uh, the one area that uh, Vanny hasn't really uh, tinkered with too much is his uh, his zonal marking system. Now, uh, <laughs> um, it, it, the, the one critique I would have of Vanny, and, and uh, you know, there's not too many, but the Whitecaps have given up quite a few goals 
uh, off of set pieces, and it's been a bit of a trademark of Vanny's time as as manager with the Whitecaps. Uh, do you think you'll ever abandon that, or or will they find ways to stop giving up goals off of set pieces? Well, here's a quote unquote from Vanny Sartini. I am the most zonal manager in the world. <laughs> so I've just answered your question there. There's absolutely no chance that he's going <laughs> to abandon that. They did make a small tweak uh, defending corner kicks earlier in this year where they took another man out from the zone in front of the goal around the six and, and had someone stay with runners coming from outside the area. So you might see the occasional tweak here and there, especially if things aren't going well in terms of defending set plays. You know, there, there's a million things to kind of break down in terms of the pros and cons of that. You know, a lot of people are strongly opposed to zonal defending because if you remember the Seattle Sounders game where the players looked to be completely unmarked and were unmarked after just a slight flick on, they can leave you for dead uh, because someone else thinks, oh, that man will be picked up because you don't stay with runners. You stay with space. You mark the space. So, you know, there, there's a lot of questions around what the right way to, to defend is. I like the way that the Whitecaps defend set plays from wide areas, meaning that they drop closer to the goalkeeper rather than those really high lines you're seeing mm-hmm. some teams play where I just feel there's too much space to cover for a defender to track back towards your own goal that so often you're seeing either uh, players giving away own goals because they're, they're running the wrong way or players getting in behind and getting free headers or slots in. So, uh, you know, that's a good topic of conversation, but to answer your original question, he ain't changing. Uh, as a keeper, which did you prefer your teams to play? Well, funny enough, uh, I hate to date myself, but it really was only one way uh, yeah. back when we played. And it was a mix. Um, and, and a lot of teams play with a mix now, too, is that you'd always have someone at the front post. This is defending corner kicks. And then you'd have someone at the front post and the back post and then someone right around the uh, six-yard box in, in the frontal area where you know dangerous balls would come in. And then the rest were man-to-man. And that's the way that it was all. Uh, every time that I played in a game, I felt that that was the, the, the system that we had. And most of the teams that I've coached with too including the national team we've had a mix of that but Benito Floro had his own way of doing things uh, he was a big proponent of that deep lying back line much like Vanny is surprisingly and then I did the game recently between Pumas and Montreal and you could not believe how deep the Pumas back line was defending wide uh, free kicks and then the next game at DC they had it about 20 yards further up the field so it's as if uh, teams are experimenting most are going with high lines, uh, but I've always you know, kind of gone with the, the more traditional, but I am becoming more and more of a fan of a deeper lying back line on set plays. Paul Dolan, our guest here on uh, on the People's Show now. The Whitecaps, uh, you know, they're playing Tigris tonight. Uh, it is uh, the, the League's Cup. Should be an interesting one. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are still learning what uh, what the League's Cup is. Essentially, Liga MX teams and MLS teams are having a mid-season tournament and the Whitecaps are into the knockout phase to plays play against Tigris um, you know this is a team Andre Pierre Gignac we've seen him uh, beat the Whitecaps in the past going back to the last time these teams played I think it was 2016 or 2017 and the Whitecaps now though they have uh, maybe a superstar that can match that level in, in Ryan Galt I mean is he just is he playing at a level that gives the Whitecaps a mat like a chance in almost any you know one-off game they play <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the fact that he wasn't on the all-star team becomes more and more of a joke. And you can, you know, however you pick the all-star team players. But 
he is in the upper echelon of important players to a team. Maybe he doesn't have the flash that some of the superstar uh, high-profile players have, but what he gives you and what he gives a team that Vanny Sartini, again, if he's talking about the team being the later, what, what he does, selfless running, defensive work, covers every blade of turf on that field. And after a bit of a slow start in terms of contributing with goal actions, his contributions in goals and assists, is it's out of this world lately. You know, he's just been absolutely on fire. He and Brian White, I think they're going to start today in, uh, you know, more advanced positions because of what they do defensively as much as anything else. But it's eight goals, seven assists in the last 11 for Ryan Gold. And, and uh, obviously from the penalty spot, he's been four for four, so automatic from there as well. And he's just lifted his game to a, another level above where we saw when he first joined the team two years ago. And we all felt, oh, this guy's a superstar right out of the gate. So the fact that he's meshed even more so with Brian White and the rest of the team and what he does for the team, uh, I would consider him an MVP candidate in the league. He won't get it because yeah. he plays in Vancouver, but he's he's right up there in my conversation for sure. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of East Coast bias going on. Gold kind of gets <laughs> forgotten uh, in some of the uh, the hoopla of, of some other uh, MLS stars right now, and we know the biggest one uh, is is Lionel Messi, who's uh, yet to play an MLS match technically, as he's just uh, you know featured here in the League's Cup in recent matches for Inter Miami, but. Uh, just curious on your take, Paul, on, on what, what it means for the league. And I think the question is, is better posed as, as actually, you know, how does MLS grow from having the extra eyeballs on its league that Lionel Messi will bring? You know, that's the probably billion-dollar question. Yeah. Uh, already the returns seem to be incredibly positive, uh, both from viewership, obviously ticket sales, interest in the league, interest in what's happening at Inter-Miami, jersey sales. Uh, you know, I work with Adidas as well, so I can tell you I'm seeing it from all angles. So I'm with Apple, I'm with Adidas, obviously uh, very involved in what's happening on an MLS level, uh, full stop. But I think it's been phenomenal for the league. And what he's done, you know, if you were to look at it and say, oh, well, yeah, of course he's ripping up the league because MLS is not a good standard. I just... I have to refute that because it is Lionel Messi and the way he gets into different positions and, and different spots where players know he's going to be there and somehow just can't keep up with him because of that quick turn or the dribble or the finishing or, or just his movement. Um, he's done it at every level in every league. You're talking about a guy who is the golden ball winner from the World Cup and is nominated for a Ballon d'Or as well in the upcoming and will likely win that. So this is a guy, you can say the age is 36 and that's older and it is, but he's in his prime still. Uh, he's just lifted a world cup for goodness sake. Yeah. So I think it's massive for the league. You know, I, I hope that it, it lifts the presence of MLS and I hope that people come out to watch uh, the games. You know, I hope that they get a good crowd tonight. The white caps, this um, league's cup tournament, which I didn't expect uh, to have the interest that it had right out of the gate. And again, I did that game in Montreal and I'd been going to Stad Saputo for a dozen years or more. I've never seen an atmosphere like it. The Pumas fans, of course, lifted that, but it was a packed house and there was something on the line. You felt that edge, that intensity between 
a Mexican and a Canadian rival as it was in that one and the U.S. rivals in the other games. And I think we'll see some of that tonight. Tigris is a monster team. You know, as Vanny Sartini said, they're like a European giant. They're one of the giants of CONCACAF. So I hope there's a big crowd tonight. I hope people can appreciate the quality of the players that are coming in and that this League's Cup and, of course, uh, obviously with Messi driving that forward is something that people uh, will enjoy. I've I've loved the jokes like, uh, oh, Messi's got five goals in three games. He's just going to absolutely tear up terrible MLS defenders. It's like, um, have you ever watched Lionel Messi played? He <laughs> scored at a better than goal per game rate for his entire Barcelona career. Like, I don't see you ever trashing La Liga defenders, but uh, this no, is... No, you're right. That, that's exactly right, Dan. And, uh, you know, you're always going to have the knockers and the haters, but why don't you enjoy what you're seeing yeah. in a player, especially along with Alba and Busquets and some of the other players coming in? I think it's uh, been a joy to watch so far. Uh, Paul, really appreciate your time and your insights. Uh, enjoy the match tonight. Okay, thanks, Dan. Take care. Uh, there is Paul Dolan, uh, Dolly the goalie, Canadian men's national player, now a uh, color analyst with Apple and uh, doing a great job. He's um, He's so right about the Lionel Messi impact and I don't know why I mean I do know why again I said it yesterday there's a bunch of European soccer snobs and I used to be that guy until I really started watching and covering MLS closely more than 10 years ago now but there is an undue criticism that goes towards MLS players simply because it's a soccer league in North America. And any soccer league in North America must be awful. Doesn't make a ton of sense to me why we would crap on our local product as much as we do when it comes to soccer. But I hope it changes. Ultimately, the impact of Lionel Messi because I know it's been the biggest or one of the biggest sports stories over the last few weeks. Messi is going to make MLS owners a ton of money. He already is. They sold out. So Messi's playing against FC Dallas in their next uh, League's Cup match. They sold out the tickets for that game, his first away match, in like nine minutes. And tickets are being sold for like nine grand now on the secondary market in Dallas, a stadium that's mostly empty for a lot of those FC Dallas games. And that's a team that's for the most part, been a really successful MLS franchise, but they're never going to be, and have never been a team that's going to spend big on a European superstar, but you bet your ass that owner is going to be happy to collect the paycheck. That's going to come with Lionel Messi playing in their stadium. There's a story of the Philadelphia Union raising season ticket prices by 20%. And it's like, cool. I get it. More eyeballs on the MLS, more interest in the league, but not really here. <laughs> You're not the team that signed Lionel Messi. You're helping Inter Miami sign Lionel Messi and play against us. Now you want to charge me 20% more? Ultimately, Lionel Messi's impact, yeah, bringing more eyeballs, great. That's that's good. MLS has had these players before, Zlatan and David Beckham. 
But what Beckham did for MLS was bring in the designated player rule. And now with Lionel Messi, there's already the talk of scrapping the salary cap altogether. All this gam and tam nonsense whenever the Whitecaps send out a press release. You won't have to worry about that anymore. Probably. Hopefully. But what it could do is allow MLS teams to bring over more European players. Lessen salary cap restrictions. Bring in more players that you've seen play in the top five biggest leagues in the world, that you've seen play in Champions Leagues, and maybe do that before they're 35, 36 years old. The only thing that's going to make MLS truly overcome some of the unfortunate criticisms it takes because it is simultaneously an overrated league, but also incredibly underrated when you see the way people talk about defenders getting murked by Lionel Messi. The only thing is going to be as U.S. players, Canadian players continue to develop and be among the best players in the world, MLS becomes a league that they want to stay in rather than flee from when they become a certain level of player. And also when MLS isn't signing guys that are good but never really quite made it to the biggest teams in Europe and those be the players that they sign or ultimately just be a credible top five league in the world. And that's only going to take time. Probably doesn't happen before 2026. But after that World Cup, I think it starts to get interesting for Major League Soccer. We'll get into some hockey talk in hour number two of the, of the program. Also, uh, Brandon Gustafson is going to join us, 710 Seattle. Mariners getting a massive win over Shohei Otani and the Angels last night. Their playoff push, how realistic is it that they continue this through the back end of the season? And some other thoughts on Shohei Otani, who continues to be wasted by the L.A. Angels, just like the best player in the league it also happens to be his teammate, Mike Trout, who's now a little bit past his prime and will never get to see Mike Trout on any sort of a lengthy World Series run because the Angels are just too crap of a team to put anything of relevance around him. It's coming up next on The People's Show.